Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. we step into today, we're going to look at chapters 23 and 24, which upon looking at it, you, you may be realizing, wow, uh, we're going to be here a long time. And um, no, we're not, but we're going to cover a lot. And what it's going to require of you is that if you haven't read through Genesis 23 and 24, um, your homework this week is to do just that. Especially 24. We're going to read all the way through chapter 23. Um, but we're, going to, we're not going to read the whole of chapter 24 this morning. Um, I want to encourage you to do that on your own. It's one of the beautiful realities of uh, having access to God's word. So take that, jot it down, say homework this week. Read Genesis 23 and 24. As we jump into this. Text, I want to start with uh, actually a verse from Proverbs. It says this. Uh, in fact, let's just read this together. Okay, as one voice, let's read this text all together at one time. All right, here we go. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I want you to think about this a minute. I often marvel at how many of us claim to desire God's will, but when it comes to how his plan comes to fruition, we're dissatisfied at best. So how do we walk in faith? Trusting that the Lord will succeed. And we say that, we speak those realities... Uh, We get together on a Sunday morning and we affirm these truths, but at the end of the day, do we really, honestly, do we read a verse like this in Proverbs 19.21 and go, yes, my plans may be many, but they may have nothing to do with what the purposes of the Lord actually are. This is why it is so crucial that we fall back to the word of God as our final authority and not the word of man. Because we can make plans, but whose purpose is is it that will succeed? Whose purpose is it, church? The Lord's. Everyone say the Lord's. And maybe a better question for many of us today is, how do I trust the Lord In the middle of the challenges of these days. How do I trust the Lord? And this is where, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to sit with this. Um, Take heart. Remember the providence of God. Now, some of you look at that word providence and you think that sounds very similar to last week when we talked about the provision of God. 
provision, providence. They're very similar terms, but they mean very different things. And so it's important when we think about this, remember the providence of God. Matt, what in the world are you talking about? I want to emphasize the difference between the Lord's provision and the Lord's providence. Um, Provision is that the Lord will meet our greatest needs. Not our greatest wants, our greatest needs. And it's emphasized throughout the whole of Scripture. The Lord will faithfully provide. We can take heart that the Lord will provide. Amen? Providence is that the Lord will use our greatest needs, our greatest fears, our greatest apprehensions, our greatest failings. You fill in the blank. The Lord will use all of that in the fulfillment of His purposes. He will faithfully, providentially bring about His purposes. And there is absolutely nothing you or I can do to thwart that. And what we're going to unpack today is that, in and of itself, is a reason we should celebrate. And take heart, remembering the providence of God. Now, we're going to look today at these two chapters in Abraham's life and story and look specifically at aspects of faith that we are prone to lose sight of. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 23. And we're going to read all the way to the end of that chapter. It says, Sarah lived 127 years. and These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kirathaba. That is Hebron. Everyone say Hebron. In the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. And Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zoar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Verse 10. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in and uh, in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. He said to Ephron in the hearing of all the of the people of the land. But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. 
So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah. East of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Now, I'm curious, when you read chapter 23 of Genesis, how many of you go, I'm confused? Some of you are. I would say most of us actually read sections of scripture like this and we, we don't stop. We read through them, we go, oh, well, that's kind of weird. And then we move on. But we miss huge elements of the character of God and his personhood. We miss elements of God fulfilling his redemptive purposes when we just blow by these things without taking time to stop and consider what is actually going on here. Now, in the midst of this, as we're processing through what's taking place here, I want you to grasp something. And that is faith recognizes that in our unknowing God knows. And you've heard that statement a few times as we've walked through Genesis. This reminder that the Lord knows. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. God knows. And that doesn't bring about the stipulation that you have to understand it for God to somehow know. He, He just knows. And He will bring about His purposes even in our unknowing. Now, you might be going, well, what, is, what are you bringing about in this? Well, understand that if we go back in Genesis and we look at Genesis 12 forward, you see that God has already declared to Abraham that his people will inherit the land of Canaan. If God has affirmed this to Abraham and Abraham is walking in faith, then what we see here in Abraham's life is a lived out result of him saying, I believe and trust the Lord. I'm going to purchase a piece of land and bury my wife in the land that my people will inherit, even though to this day and time, I do not inherit, I do not own it. But I have faith that God will fulfill that which he has promised to do. And we saw this last week, we saw this turning point in Abraham's faith where all of a sudden his eyes are opened to the reality that he doesn't need to fear. He doesn't need to be afraid because God has proven himself faithful. And we saw that as Abraham took Isaac, his son, up on the mountain and believed, even as Hebrews would say, that God could raise him from the dead. So I'm going I'm to walk in obedience. I'm going to trust the Lord. The same is true here, further lived out in Abraham's example to say, I'm going to buy land in the midst of the Canaanites because God has already promised that this is what my people are going to inherit. Now, you might be looking at this and going, well, what is this banter? Because it seems to me that Abraham got basically worked himself out of a really good deal. Right? The, the, the people here in the land are going, hey, Abraham. We'll give you this land. Well, this is where it's really helpful to understand cultural norms. This is a regular marketing banter that was very culturally appropriate. 
where someone would approach someone about purchasing a piece of land and they would come across very cordial and say, no, we'll just give it to you. Now, it would be very disrespectful if Abraham were to go, great, hand over the title. But instead, it was meant to initiate this. We're going to be two, two cordial people working out a deal here. And this banter goes back and forth. And the interesting thing is if you were to go back in time and look at the price of land and what would be paid, the price that they come out of the gate with when they finally do give him a price is actually quite expensive. And more than likely, they were anticipating that Abraham was going to come back and was actually going to say, well, actually, uh, let's... You know, I'm, I'm peaceful, I'm sojourning here, I'm, I'm coming to you with gracious intent, you know, let's work out a deal. And instead, the very first price that they give him, Abraham pays. Now there's another dynamic to this, and I don't want to linger here too long, but uh, there's another dynamic here where Abraham purchasing this land in faith is a show of good faith to these people. And to the rest of what would be his lineage, that this was not purchased in a wrongful manner, but rather was attained very reasonably. And was done so as a marker, a marker, a solidified spot that shone once more that Abraham trusted the Lord. Even not knowing how God's promises would be fulfilled, his actions reveal that he was going to walk in faith. Now, to, to quote a section uh, out of Kent Hughes' book on Genesis, which just does a good job of summarizing the biblical walk of faith we see play out, not just here in Genesis, but even all the way over to Joshua. <clears throat> Listen to this. Machpelah in Hebron became a monument to Abraham's, Abraham's faith. In God's sure word of promise. By faith, Abraham believed God's promise that his descendants would inherit the land. We see that in Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land for almost a century, living as one to whom it would belong. By faith, Abraham purchased the cave at Machpelah in Hebron. By faith, Abraham buried Sarah in the cave at Hebron. By faith, Isaac buried Abraham with Sarah at Hebron. We're going to look see that next week. By faith, Jacob buried his father, Isaac, at Hebron. We see that in Genesis 49, 31. By faith, while in Egypt, Jacob charged his sons to bury him in Hebron. Genesis 49, 29, and 30. By faith, Jacob's sons had him embalmed and took his remains to Hebron for burial. Genesis 50. By faith, as the very last lines in Genesis record, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. By faith, Moses, 430 years later at the Exodus, took Joseph's bones up out of Egypt and then for 40 years bore his mummified remains throughout Israel's wanderings. By faith, when Joshua conquered the promised land, he buried Joseph's body in fulfillment of the same principle in a plot of land earlier purchased by Joseph's father, Jacob. That's in Joshua 24, 32. Now, there's no way... That Abraham 
knew all that was about to transpire. And in fact, it's not just five years later, all this comes to be. No, we're talking hundreds of years later, church family. Hundreds of years later that this promises of God are brought to fulfillment to where the people of Israel see the Lord faithfully fulfills his promises. You see, Abraham only got to see a small fraction of God's promise fulfilled, but his actions reveal that he believed God would do it all the way. There is no way. Here's here's another just mind-blowing thing. You think about this. There's no way that Abraham could know ahead of time that over 2000 years later, the apostle Paul, after the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, would write these words in Galatians chapter 3 verse 7. Where he would say, "Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham." And yet, Abraham's actions revealed that he believed God's ultimate plan and purposes were best. Do you? Do we? Now, the story shifts from the morning of Sarah to the future passing of the torch uh, from Abraham to Isaac. And let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 24. I'm going to read the verse 16 verses of this as the narrative shifts here. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Now, pause a minute here. This is really significant. Why would Abraham say this? Abraham is going to say, don't do this because the Lord has promised to give this land to my people. Not that land. This land. Don't take my son out of this land because we're focused on what God has promised to fulfill. Not just what we, not just our agenda. God's agenda. Hey, verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your, here it is, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. He's adamant about this. Verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camel. Everyone say ten. Hang on to that because I'm going I'm to come to that here in a minute. Significant. Ten of his master's camels and departed. 
taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, so now the servant's having a conversation with the Lord. And he says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Verse 15 is really significant. Look at this. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And I have to think for a moment here. I I love to picture this going down in my head because it says that the servant ran to meet her. This guy is excited. Because the Lord, before he didn't even finish praying to the Lord, here Rebecca comes. And so I'm imagining him just leave his camels and rush. And I have to wonder, what in the world is Rebecca thinking at this moment? But she says in verse 18, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Now, here, here's, as we look at this all transpire, we should find great hope in the reality that faith recognizes God's work in the details. It recognizes God's work in all these little details. And, and can I just share with you that, that we often miss this because we become so distracted by other things that we lose sight of the small ways that God just reminds us of his presence and of him fulfilling his purpose. Uh, there's a, two stories I'll share with you just briefly. One, uh, that, that, that my family and I have had the chance to witness this. Um, there's so many more, and I encourage you share these uh, with each other over lunch because it's a great encouragement. Uh, one, I've shared one time before, but some of you may not have heard this, and we had finished remodeling our house, and we had some leftover flooring. And uh, we, we decided we're just going to sell this flooring, so we put it up on Facebook Marketplace. We put this flooring for sale, and I had this lady reach out and was interested in it, but then she backed out, and another person was interested. They backed out. Of course, it's, I really don't like storing this flooring. So... This first lady reached out to me again, like two months later. She said, I'm going to buy this flooring, but I have no way to get to you to pick it up. I said, that's okay. Our family's going to Peoria today. We can actually bring it by if that works for you. So that worked out. So on our drive there, I'm telling you, church family, there was this unquenchable prompting that I needed to share the gospel with this lady. And I wish I could stand here and tell you that my first response was, yes. All right, Lord, we're going to do this. We're going to share Jesus. Um, but I didn't want to. 
In fact, I'm in my mind, I'm going, ah, really, Lord? I really just want to get to Peoria and get my errands and go home. That's where my flesh was. Anyone ever been there? Come on, don't leave me hanging. (laughs) That's our flesh, right? And and it just was perpetual. And I I turned to Haley, my wife, and I said, I can't shake this. And I'm telling you, because here's a trick. If you verbalize something to someone else, then they can hold you accountable. Okay? But I just, I, I couldn't shake. So we get there, and we start unloading the flooring. And, you know, I'm still fighting this. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. This is hard. I, just, I don't know this person. But at the end, after we unloaded all the flooring, we're standing on this lady's porch. And I said, hey, I'm just, I can't shake this prompting that I, I, that I need to pray for you. And I just need to share hope with you. Is, is there something going on in your life? And her eyes got huge. And she went, how did you know? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Please enlighten me because I want to know now too. And she said, I was just diagnosed with lung cancer today. And I haven't told anyone. My husband's at work and he doesn't even know. And I went, oh my and we shared the, I shared the gospel with this lady and we prayed for her. And I don't know what happened after that. And it's not, I, I left the invitation there for her to reach out if she needed further. In that moment, it was not God's purpose for me to know how the story unfolded. It was my purpose to walk in obedience to what the Lord told me to do in that moment. And the same is true for us. And one other powerful story that I'll share with you along these same lines. It was a dear brother in Christ here in our church family. And every so often the Lord will just prompt me to send someone a message. Whether it's email or text message. And I text this dear brother a a message. Said hey I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Let me know if there's anything specific I can pray for. And I just got a thanks back. And then later that night he calls me. And it's the same question. How did you know? So I don't know what you're talking about. This is a common theme in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, I was having a surgical procedure today and I didn't really tell people about it. Um, but I was sitting in the hospital bed about to go back for surgery and was feeling really nervous and anxious. And your text came through. And I said, brother, I, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't plan that. Okay. I, I share this with you. Because so often I believe we become so busy with other things that we actually don't stop to take the time to listen to what God is having us do. And then we get frustrated because we go, my plans aren't happening and I feel like God's not with me. And yet we aren't stopping to actually seek what is the Lord calling me to do. And here's the frustrating part of that. As a fleshly person, what the Lord is calling you to do today is usually has nothing to do with your plans. And in fact, a majority of the time, at least in my own testimony, in my own life, it's when I'm okay with setting my plans to the side and going, okay, I guess this is more important. That's when I see the Lord show up. But when I put myself in the way. It doesn't work out well. It, I end up frustrated. Now, in this, we see a faith in the details when 
Abraham trusts to send his servant away. He's not doing this himself. He trusts his servant to go. We see faith in the servant to trust the Lord. And God, verse 15, God answers the prayer of the servant before he's even even finished speaking. And it reminds me of Matthew 6, verse 8, where it says, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I was reminded even further at our elder meeting this last Monday when my brother Bill Sievert said, uh, God doesn't have faith. Right? Because he sees. He knows. God doesn't have to have faith in something because he's got it all under control. You and I are the ones that have to have faith. Now, Rebecca gets the camel's water, and I don't think you stop to realize how much of a feat this is. Um, so, let's say, for chance, that maybe she had a five-gallon bucket, which is heavy. The typical, this is just a random, interesting fact. You can impress someone today with this. The typical one-humped camel drinks between 25 and 40 gallons of water in one drink. How many camels did he have? Ten. Now stop and think about that a minute. And I'm impressed with Rebecca. This lady went down into the well. And usually they were dug in a hole and there were stairs down into the well. And they get their water and they come back up the stairs. This lady carried, say, 300 gallons of water out of the well and watered the camels. That's impressive. But even more impressive than that is God in the midst of the details, having this lined out and in place before they even set out on their journey. God is in the midst of the details. We just have to open our eyes to see it. Now, how does any of this in all reality apply to you and me? I just want to make several statements as we think about all of this, because what happens after this is the servant shares with Rebecca all that's happened. She goes back to Laban, um, who was her brother, and uh, that's an important name for later on in Genesis. That's verse 29. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man and they end up sharing all that's taken place. And Rebecca ends up going with the servant and becoming Isaac's wife. And uh, Rebecca actually ends up stepping into Sarah's tent. She visibly becomes the next matriarch in the fulfillment of God's promises. And all that unfolds in the rest of chapter 24. But here's here's where... I, I, I want us to, to sit and as we think about how do we apply this to us as the church. The bigger picture is always more important than the fine tune day to day. And what I mean by that goes back to Proverbs 19. Where imagine in all the scenarios we've seen Abraham walk through, if he got so fixated on the day to day. That he lost sight of God's promises in the big picture. 
you bring that full circle to you and I, you and I are so prone to get focused on the day to day that we lose sight of God in the big picture. And we should be convicted that rather than spending time agonizing over why bad things happen, we would be better suited to ask ourselves, does this change anything in the scope of God's ultimate plan and purpose? Does this change anything? Which brings me to this statement. There is nothing that happens on earth that can hinder the fulfillment of God's purposes. There is nothing. Everyone say nothing. Church family, may we be a people of such that believe this to be true. Because what I watch taking place in the church across our country is groups of people that do not believe this. And they are so afraid. They're so afraid. They're crippled by fear. Imagine how the story would change if Abraham was crippled by fear. Where God promises, Abraham, I'm going to build a nation through you. I'm going to, you're going to have a son. I'm going to build this vast nation through you and you're going to inherit this land. And a year later, Abraham goes, I don't know what the Lord was talking about. Nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. Nothing's taken place. I'm going to do my own thing. It's what we do. And in fact, I would say we're even more narrow focused than that. And that's where passages like Romans 8.28 come in. How many of you have heard this passage before? Many of us have. We know that God, all things work together for good. Okay? For those who are called according to his purposes. Know that for those, instead of things, for those who love God, all things work together for good. How many of you are, I'm, I'm on, be honest here. How many of you have been in the midst of a really hard situation and someone's thrown this verse at you and it's made you upset? A couple of you are honest. I believe more of us are honest about that. If more of us feel that way than we care, care to admit. Because in the midst of hardship and trial, we hear this and we don't, we don't like it. And honestly, it's, here's, here's a care instruction for you, church family. Um, don't do this unless you're in the right setting. Because sometimes we just want to help and so we throw something at people hoping that it will help and it doesn't help. Um, sometimes the best thing you can do is just be present. Just be with people. And when you don't know what to say, that's okay. Just don't say anything and be present. But in the grand scheme of this, what God is working for good is not your plans. It's His. It's His purposes. And we read a verse like this and we convince ourselves that, oh man, this hardship that I'm going through, I'm, I'm going to benefit greatly from this someday. You might not. Your life may remain hard and challenging. You may suffer for the sake of Christ. Are you okay with that? 
The only way we become okay with that is when we recognize that God's purposes will never be thwarted. This is what brought Abraham to the place where he could in confidence walk through his last days with confidence, knowing that he wasn't going to see this all brought to fruition, but he knew that God would. At the end of all of this, there's a question that we sit with, which is the question of, what should I do? What should I do? Take heart and remember the providence of God. There's many of you today who are wrestling with really hard realities. And you've been challenged because life is not going the way that you had hoped it would go. And there's still more of you that may have forgotten the promises of God. And may be trying to still push your plan into being without pausing and saying, can anything thwart the purposes of the Lord? Faith is when we're willing to root into knowing that regardless of what happens to me in life or in death, God will be faithful. So we be faithful, walk in obedience, trust in the Lord, and remember the providence of God. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. For the sacrifice of Christ that we are undeserving of. Lord, may we walk by faith. May we step out in faith. May you give us the faith of Abraham. To recognize that your promises will be brought to be. And nothing on this earth can hinder that. May we trust you even when we don't know what's happening and what's going on. Knowing that you are faithful. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen.